I was asked to offer a little more positivity in a Jets podcast. Maybe maybe take a, a glass half full approach for a segment. So let's open this episode of the Brandon Contest Jets podcast with a few compliments for the 0-2 football team. And the first positive thing about their 31-13 to loss to the 49ers on Sunday is last week when they lost 27-17 to the Bills, I said the score was not telling. The score was not indicative of how bad the Jets played, how how bad they lost, and how little of a chance they had to win during that game. Well, well this week was different. The 31-13 score was much more telling, much more on point with how the game felt. The 49ers traveled across the country for a 1 o'clock game. They lose their starting quarterback. They lost their starting running back. They were without their starting wide receiver, without their all-pro tight end. Their starting defensive tackle was carted off during this game. Their starting defensive end and last year's Rookie of the Year was carted off during this game. Yet despite all of that, despite the injuries, despite the travel, despite going to their backup quarterback, they still beat the Jets by three scores. 31-13 told a much better story in terms of how poorly the New York Jets played than the 27-17 score did last week. So that's positive number one. Positive number two, we're one week closer to knowing what Sam Darnold is. He's no longer a rookie quarterback. I've been clear about that. This is not year two for Sam Darnold. It's now year three. By year three, you know what a player is. An NFL quarterback taking what I would deem to be a drastic jump after his third season in the league is an anomaly. It just doesn't happen. So Darnold is building a track record. He's defining himself as a Jet. Darnold is much less of a question mark now than he was a year ago. And I think that's a good thing because answers are always good. The unknown can hamper a franchise. It can impede a general manager. Finality or definitiveness with a quarterback will help a general manager to be decisive. And in the long run for an organization, for a professional football franchise, that's a good thing. I, I wanna, I'll call this one, this next one, positive number 2A, because it's more of a positive for Sam Darnold himself than it is the New York Jets. And as I said, a, a quarterback taking a drastic jump after their third year in the league, it just doesn't happen. Well, one of those anomalies is Ryan Tannehill, somebody who left the team that drafted him, somebody that left his head coach of Adam Gase, who was his second head coach at the time and a deemed quarterback whisperer at the time. But with Gase, Tannehill looked below average, to to average at best. He looked like a bust. But without Gase, he's shocked the football world. He he went to a championship game last year. He earned nearly $120 million during the offseason and continues to look great in his second year in a new system. And with a new team, tossing four touchdowns against the Jacksonville Jaguars this week. So Ryan Tannehill, the the performance that he put forth this week on Sunday, it gives Sam Darnold hope, hope of of life after Adam Gase. So that's not a a great positive for the Jets, but it's certainly looking at this game, looking at at the the Jets situation. It's a positive for Sam Darnold. Positive number three from this week, Quinn and Williams. And this is a real, this is a legitimate positive, a bad game for the Jets, but a very strong game from Quinn and Williams this week, who was another can't-miss defensive prospect drafted by the Jets, much like Leonard Williams, who turned out to be a bust. Quinn and Williams was was viewed as this incredible prospect who he disappointed in his, in his rookie season, but he did not disappoint against the 49ers. 
Not not that it meant much in terms of the outcome of the the scoreboard, but two sacks and a forced fumble, and all of a sudden we feel a little bit better about Quinn and Williams. So I think that is a a fair positive. So there you go. I'm I'm fully capable of being. I think I I always think I'm rational. I'm fully capable of being rational, realistic, honest, maybe a little cold hearted at times when it comes to New York Jets, but I still can have the ability to find some silver linings and and offer some positivity. And I, I think that's what uh, that's what we did here this week. This It's not all negative all the time. Sure, the team's 0-2. Sure, they've been outscored 58-20 to and looked even worse than than that in doing so. Yes, Adam Gase is 30-37 and in his career as a head coach. And amazingly, his teams have lost by double digits in 29 of those games. Two touchdowns or more in 24 of them. But you know what? We can still find some things to smile about when it comes to New York Jets. It's like it's like a broken down cards. It's not going to get you where you want to go, but maybe the radio still works to give you some entertainment. Or or maybe the roof doesn't leak so you can sit inside if it's raining. Maybe you'll save some money on gas by not driving it. There's always a silver lining. So so don't let this team break you. Let's take a quick break on the Brandon Connors Jets podcast back after this. Find a silver lining about the Jets, but it, it it's tough to find a silver lining about MetLife Stadium. And Giants fans don't love it. Jets fans hate it because Woody Johnson pays for half the stadium, but it still feels like the Jets are playing in Giants Stadium, not not that they're evenly splitting what is a new stadium. It doesn't feel like they have their own home still. It's it's ugly. The the attempt to to make it interchangeably Giants and, and Jets colors was was a fail. There's no uniqueness or explanation as to why it cost $1.6 billion to build when you look at what other stadiums cost and, and what the other organizations come up with. The, the MetLife Stadium was just, uh, is, is just a fail. And I, I guess the if I had to come up with a silver lining, I would say the fact that it does have a big parking lot for tailgating, which the West Side Stadium would not have had if the Jets went to Manhattan. So it still doesn't answer why... The Jets aren't in their own stadium in Queens, but it's a silver lining nonetheless. I, I do think it is, it's fantastic that Jet fans, Giant fans, they, they both have an opportunity to, to go to the games when COVID is not an issue, of course. But they have an opportunity to go to the stadium and tailgate. I've enjoyed it many times myself, and I would certainly miss that if that was not uh, not something that we had the opportunity to do if the stadium was in Manhattan. But the San Francisco 49ers ripped the stadium after this game, blaming the new turf, which it's the first year of new turf. Uh, they had the same turf since 2013, and they just this year for this season, they they put new turf in MetLife Stadium. And the 49ers ripped it, blaming the new turf for a, a lot of their injuries. Garoppolo sprained ankle, Nick Bosa and Solomon Thomas, both possibly with ACL tears. Brashard Perriman for the Jets left with an ankle injury, also did not return. So sticky, thick trash, that's what they were talking about. The turf after this game is what they were saying. So so nobody likes MetLife Stadium. I will also attribute some of the injuries to having no preseason. And I, I don't think this is a hot take. I'll actually, I'll, I'll, more, I'll pose the question, do you feel differently about the preseason now that it's gone? Is the preseason the example of not knowing what you had until it's gone? Kind of like a, a significant other that you were ready to break up with for a really long time. Then all of a sudden they break up with you instead and you realize maybe it's not quite what you wanted. The preseason was kind of, it was forced out by COVID. After, for years of, of saying we don't need the preseason, it was a waste of time. 
all of a sudden it was stolen by a pandemic. And at first you think it's no real loss, but now you look at the injuries, the sloppy play early on in the first couple of weeks of the regular season, and and also just the fact that the regular season, it snuck up on me. Like, usually you have the preseason starting in early August, and it, it lets you brace for the start of the se- the regular season. I, I get excited week one of the preseason, you know, watch the first five, ten minutes or so, and then by that point I'm already sick of the preseason. But you still follow along, and it, it provides kind of a slow entrance from the end of the summer into the regular football season. And this year, though, we were just kind of, we were just launched into week one with no warning. So for all the complaints about the preseason that we usually have, I kind of feel like maybe it provides a service, whereas we might not have realized it prior to this. So the players benefit in terms of it helps out with injuries. The teams benefit to help out with and getting rid of some of the sloppy play. Fans benefit to make, the, it helps make their way into the start of the regular season. And I'm not saying that season ticket holders should have to pay full price for these preseason games, but I do think that we might still need a couple of preseason games, whereas previously we kind of said, you know, that the preseason is useless. And now you look at it and and maybe, maybe we all benefit from a couple of preseason games. And maybe the Sam Darnold to Braxton Berrios connection would have even been better right now with some preseason games. Watching this game and seeing the outcome and the overall numbers for Darnold, I realized what he reminded me of. Darnold played like a veteran backup quarterback. 21 for 32, 179 yards, one touchdown, no picks. He had some drives where they moved the ball, but he struggled to get points on the board. And he certainly never made you confident that he could carry the team or put together some quick scores, string together some quick scores to get the team back in the game. But he also did not, he didn't make massive mistakes. He didn't kill the team. He was a game manager. And a game manager on a bad team just isn't a useful part. It, it might not all be his fault, but he's not somebody that can just hide or mask the team's flaws and weaknesses. Sam Donald is like Josh McCown. He's good enough to last in the league a long time if he wants to bounce around and learn a bunch of new offenses. He's good enough to fit in on a very good team and win some games, maybe get to the playoffs, but he's not good enough to win team, win games on a bad team. And he's not good enough to avoid being replaced either. That touchdown pass late in the fourth quarter at 31-6 to, to Barrios was phenomenal. It was the exact type of play that gave Jet fans hope two and a half years ago when he was drafted. He he was he looked like he was going to be sacked. He broke free. He scrambled. He bounced up and out of the pocket and fired a 30-yard strike on the move just before getting hit again for a touchdown. It, it was beautiful. And it makes you scratch your head in terms of why is it that we might not see a play like that again from Darnold in the next three weeks. Look, you don't get to the NFL without having the ability to turn some heads. Every quarterback that has ever played in the NFL has the ability to make a play that would have you saying, did I just see that? Did he just make that play? Every quarterback can make you want to see a replay at least a few times in their career. Tim Tebow did it plenty in his brief career in the NFL. But that doesn't mean that he was a good quarterback. That doesn't mean that he was a franchise quarterback. Darnold can turn heads without question. But can he do it consistently? And can he make the consistent, really good play? Or is he only capable of the occasional amazing play? Berrios was was definitely another silver lining. But the problem with him is he plays the position of 
Jameson Crowder, the Jets' best offensive player. So if Crowder's healthy, I'm without question, I'm bumping Berrios from the lineup, even though he had some flashes with Darnold against the Niners. And I know we mentioned this last week. I'll do it again and probably continue to do so. We mentioned the, the Perriman injury in this game, but overall, the the, the Perriman for Robbie Anderson swap, which again, I have I have no problem admitting that I did not mind the move in the offseason. I was not clamoring to bring back Robbie Anderson, and I was I was sold and bought into the idea that Perriman was a solid replacement, but I'm also not the general manager. So when a move like that by Douglas turns out to be a bad move, I get to sit behind the microphone and remind everybody that it's it's a knock on Douglas's young tenure as general manager of the Jets that he made this move. Doug, Douglas isn't going to point it out himself, so I can be the person that sits here and says, yeah, two weeks into the year and Robbie's in Carolina with 15 catches, 223 yards, and a touchdown, back-to-back 100-yard games for Robbie Anderson. Brashad Perryman this season has five catches, 29 yards, and left today with an injured ankle. So it's not even close right now who the better player is. And I, I've again, I have no problem in admitting maybe I was wrong saying let it, let's let Anderson leave, but I also have no problem in calling out Douglas if it turns out that he was wrong in being the general manager that actually did let Anderson leave. One thing I can't criticize Douglas for is the Le'Veon Bell signing, who is without question, the the most talented running back on this team when he's healthy, but being injured and also Adam Gase not liking him, it seems to be a detriment to Bell and his potential success with the Jets. But my God, Frank Gore, 37 freaking years old and still a more than serviceable running back in the NFL. it's, It's so impressive what he's doing. In a league where running backs start getting old at age 27, he's still doing it a decade later. But... Why is Adam Gase making him the, the focal point of their game plan at age 37? He needs he needs to start fine, but 15 carries in the first half while you're playing largely from behind? How does that, that make any sense at all from Gase, who again continues to show that he, he's not a great play caller, he's not a great game planner, and he has no ability to adjust when things are not working or when you fall behind early? The, the, the game felt over after 16 seconds. At 7-0, the, the Jets were deflated and defeated, giving up a touchdown that quickly and easily to the 49ers. Going forward on, on fourth down, trailing 14-3, I understood it, it instead of kicking the field goal there. But, but why run it with Josh Adams? Why not put the ball in your talented quarterback's hands? Why not go to the veteran running back in that situation? Fourth and one, and you go to Josh Adams, and then... After Chris Herndon drops the the, uh, touchdown in the second half on third down, losing 24-3 at this point, instead of going for it on fourth, Gase chooses to kick the field goal to make it 24-6, signaling a clear lack of faith in the offense and the ability to get back into the game at that point. Kicking that field goal was useless. It was very, it was was Todd Bowles-esque. You play to make the score look less lopsided. You're not playing to win. It's a losing mentality, it's Adam Gase's mentality, and it's the Jets' mentality year after year. 0-2 with little to build off of right now. Phillip Rivers and the Colts up next. Thanks for listening to the Brandon Contest Jets podcast, and as always, big up.